We are now less than 10 years away from 2030. That's the year when we are meant to have achieved the Sustainable Development Goals, the SDGs. How close are we to achieving those goals? This year, these challenges feel unsurmountable. Things aren't just connected, they seem to be cascading into one another. If this pandemic has shown us one thing, it is what it will take to deal with a global emergency. Every time the world uh, goes through a crisis of this magnitude, which touches everybody, which changes their lives, which changes... This is Nanda Nilekani, a philanthropist. Uh, ...future, which changes their social relations. I think it, ha- it leaves a deep uh, imprint on, uh, on people. And I think uh, definitely it's, it's a little difficult to predict what is the outcome of, of this situation that affects everyone around the world. When we come out of this crisis... It will be a very different world, a very different society. Uh, The way we think about ourselves, our lives, our futures, our relations with others. This crisis doesn't change the problems we've committed to solving, like ending poverty and eradicating hunger, ensuring access to clean water, and ensuring the good health and well-being of all people on this planet. And we have to wonder, do we have the right systems and structures to harness the power of our collective ingenuity? and to do it in a way that reflects the diversity of the world that we live in. This is a show that chronicles the work of organizations that have set really big goals for themselves and use new and different ways to achieve them, aided by networks, digital platforms, and the fundamental belief that we all, markets, states, and citizens, need to work together if we are to create a better, more inclusive world for everyone. Welcome back to Sea Change, a show about societal change in the digital age and how to make a bigger, faster and more inclusive impact in the world we live in. I'm Radhika Vishwanathan. And I'm Samyukta Varma. This is Season 2. If you have just found us, please do listen to Season 1. In this series, we meet organizations working in the area of agriculture, rural livelihoods, healthcare, education, craft and financing, And we speak to governments and social enterprises, philanthropists and design thinkers, all working to bring greater inclusion to development. Sea Change is co-produced by Societal Platform and Vaca Media. In this episode, we look at social purpose organizations that are experimenting or transitioning to new ways of working. And we find out what their journeys have taught them about sustainable, inclusive systems. And in the cases you will hear, we will find out how crucial networks can be, how simple solutions can build empathy, and how much an impact it can have on users when organizations constantly course correct to put their stakeholders at the center. How do we reduce the damage? How do you reduce the colossal devastation that this disease can potentially do to populations around the world? At the same time, how do we make sure that parts of the society can start functioning and we don't have to be in an interminable lockdown for many months? How do we harness the power of the state? How do we harness markets to build vaccines early and to uh, you know, build tests early or treatment early? How do we use last mile 
actors to take these things to the world, to every person. Nanda Nilekani is also the co-founder and co-chairperson of the Ekstap Foundation. For the last three years, Ekstap has been working to make an impact on education. From the ways children learn, to the support teachers receive, the way schools are run, and the ways states set curriculum. The approach hinges on deep collaboration, where systems are built in such a way that they are owned and contributed to by the users themselves. It needs very, very collaborative skills. It needs the ability to generate a very high level of trust among players and work closely with uh, market operators, governments and NGOs and create trust among them. It requires the ability to think at scale. At the same time, the ability to get into minute details. So the ability to go from sort of a helicopter view to a microscopic view at the same time. For example, take Deeksha, the national program anchored by the Indian Ministry of Human Resource Development and the National Council for Teacher Education. Co-created by Ekstep Foundation, it was designed to provide better learning experiences for teachers and students alike. At one level, teachers create content that can be shared and used, and children can access this content and hold world of information at their fingertips thanks to QR codes. This means their learning isn't restricted to the classroom. But perhaps more importantly, at a whole other level, teachers, students, parents, administrators, everyone involved, engage in a whole new way of thinking about what it takes to learn. And this breaking of traditional silos, of fixed ways of doing things, allows the system to achieve its goals faster. This way of working goes beyond education. Nandan believes these principles can be applied in many contexts. I think at the back of our minds, uh, how do we use that thinking to get governments, markets and social actors to work at scale is always pervasive. People seem to look to technology to signal the possibilities of deeper collaboration. From organizing social movements online, to improve data and mapping, to frontline workers taking data collection to the cloud, every organization has sought efficiency and collaboration through tech. And tech has now become almost native to development practice. But the real value and the real impact lies not in the digital solution. It lies in the hard work of building connections between people, forging networks of different actors, working towards a common goal. Rikin Gandhi is the founder of Digital Green, an organization that works to lift small farmers out of poverty using local partnerships and technology. Rikin is a big proponent of collaborative thinking. His whole organization was built on this premise. Years ago, the question that first drove Rikin was a simple one. How is it that there were some farmers who have uh, this view of agriculture as being a source of, of prosperity, while so many are just trying to migrate out of it? And what we came to realize was that there was a small minority of farmers who saw agriculture as a source of prosperity, while most farmers are trying to get out of agriculture as quickly as possible. Starting off as a small Microsoft research project nearly 14 years ago, Rikin began working with farmers in India, building tools that would help them go beyond a life of subsistence and enjoy the fruits of their labor. Is there a way that technology could bridge these farmers who are seeing agriculture as a source of prosperity and those who see it as the vocation of last resort. And that's how Digital Green was born, 
trying to understand information flows between farmers and how they contributed to better productivity. From its early days, the organization has always been about collaborating. Taking a very humble approach in saying that we don't know a lot and we don't have uh, the expertise and the relationships that a lot of other actors uh, in the agricultural space and beyond have. Digital Green was designed to work in partnership, like the classic 3x2 Lego plate that was made to work with a 3x2 brick or any other brick. And that's even, as I mentioned, represented in our name, Digital Green, in that yeah, it includes our very first partner's name, Green Foundation, as part of it. And we were just trying to add a digital layer to the work that they were doing to take these existing ways that they were working with these communities and the social networks that the communities already had. Farmers were already receiving a lot of information from TV or radio or local agricultural extension officers. For a counterexample to this work that we've been doing at Digital Green has been the broadcast television programs or radio programs that All India Radio or Krishi Darshan and now, you know, Kisan TV have been running since the time of India's independence. And of course, those have huge degree of scale, much broader scale than even what we have. However, when you look at the impact, the National Statistical Survey of Farmers has indicated that it's a relatively small fraction of farmers who both watch those practices and apply those practices. And the reason is not because of the quality of the content. The quality of that content is very high. But this traditional model of broadcasting information did not focus on the power of local networks and the importance of locally exchanged information, tips and lessons. Digital Green wanted farmers to be able to share, discuss and learn together. But the issue is farmers really want to connect with their local context with peers that they uh, can feel are trustworthy. And that's why we find that during video screenings, the first questions that farmers ask is not about the return on investment or the economics of this or that practice, but rather, what is the name of the person in this video and which village is he or she from? Rickon has many stories. So like, for instance, we've even seen how these videos can build bridges in communities that sometimes are fragmented, right? Sometimes we might romanticize villages to say that they're one composite whole, but of course there are gonna be uh, fractions within even a small village community, which might be political in nature. One time they featured a video of a widow locally demonstrating biofertilizer production. She was one of the first to adopt this practice in her village. And as a widow, she lived on the fringes of society. Partially because she was a widow, then others in her community had somewhat ostracized her. She wasn't really close to many of them. But we were able to share her video, not just in her village, but also like in neighboring communities as well. The surprise that these communities had to even see this woman even on a video in the first place. And then to have her being able to share a practice that they then 
could consider to adopt for themselves resulted in a number of these farmers going to even visit her, you know, physically in the field because they weren't that distant from one another. And it created a sense of community between this widow and, and her larger sort of neighbors and, and community that otherwise would have been really difficult to try to mediate. But there is this sort of power of being able to feature somebody on video as a role model uh, that others then are able to relate with, even if there are some of these socio-cultural barriers that otherwise may have made folks disregard or discount a, a person previously. But it's also about ensuring the consistency and quality of information flows. Agriculture is a sector where real-time information is really important. Nagaraju is a farmer in the southern Indian state of Karnataka. Nagaraju used to carry around a small notebook in his shirt pocket where he would painstakingly write down details of his daily accounts, purchases and prices. He says, thanks to Kisan Diary, I can manage my costs and profit and loss at a crop level, so I can see all the different expenses and earnings by crops, and I can make better decisions about crop choices. It's a really good solution for me. Digital Green's app helps farmers capture, analyze, and control their financial data and manage their farming and household expenses better, and crucially gives farmers crop and time-based profit and loss analysis. In Bihar, in North India, Digital Green works with the state rural livelihood mission, a huge government program called Jivika that trains Jivika Didis, the network of women that form the frontline backbone of rural livelihood extension. Archana is one such didi from a small village. After her training with Digital Green, she tells us that she made a video featuring herself as a village councillor. In it, she's counselling her friend about taking care of her child and on the importance of good nutrition and childcare. She agreed to do the video because she felt it would set a good example. And she showed it to many people in the village who began calling her to tell her how much they liked it. She says they felt like it was their video. Some of the hardest development issues to solve occur in the periphery. Often, these are places without any ecosystem, no networks, very poor access to markets, or tools or technology that could support them. Yet these spaces, which are often the hardest to work in, have tremendous latent capacity. Take, for example, craft and artisanal communities. These small-scale cottage producers are very often marginalised and sometimes live in far remote areas and operate with little financial support. There are many reasons why the potential of these communities has been locked away. But Neelam Chibber, the co-founder of Industry, has been working with them for decades and she has constantly battled to help artisans become competitive producers while protecting their heritage and craftsmanship. And as an example, she describes her work with artisans living in remote villages in the Bastar region of Chhattisgarh in central India. 
I would come back from the village in Bastar. I would meet chairman of HHGC, a wonderful IAS officer. And he told me, he said, Neelam, I had Nacy's in here yesterday. And they wanted 100,000 pieces of this lost wax cast deer. And he showed me the deer. And I squirmed. Because it was very clear to me that my scattered workforce of artisans in Bastar, and there were thousands of Dokra artisans in Bastar, completely scattered. It was completely fractured ecosystem and there was no way you were going to get 100,000 pieces of the same size, same shape, same quality and that's what Macy wanted. So anyway, between then and now, the challenge is just this. There is a huge global demand for creative manufacturing. India has 2% global market share. We have the world's largest base of artisanal producers across all materials. In the past 50 years, India has tried to empower local artisans and farmers. Neelam talks about India's famous Amul Milk Cooperative. So Amul is $5 billion owned by producers. It's owned by 3 million farmers. So in India, you need MSMEs at a certain size and scale, which are owned by artisans and which are globally competitive. Today, if you look at all the lifestyle and fashion products that we use, which are mass-produced, could be produced by SMEs that are owned by artisans. Two other organizations joined industry to solve this challenge. Vritti, which supports rural livelihoods across India, and the Platform's Common Foundation, an organization that builds platforms for social inclusion. And together, they build PIE, the Platform for Inclusive Entrepreneurship. Raghu from Vritti points out four critical obstacles that small and marginal communities face. One, they operate within very small boundaries. Small landholdings, small units of production. Second, knowledge and information are very limited and tightly controlled. Very limited and also given by the trade channels themselves who have their own interests in terms of selling their inputs or uh, credit or otherwise. They are restrained by limited access to credit. And four, they don't get fair access to the market. What PIE believes is that for long we've seen platforms work for many different contexts and they believe that there is a need to nurture ecosystems for producers who have been overlooked as being less competitive because of the specificity of their operations, like where they are located. Most socially developed economies like Denmark, Sweden, Norway, uh, have 15 to 20% of their economies as co-op economies. Less than 1% of India's economy is a co-op economy, right? Cooperatives were methods used by all socially developed advanced nations today in the past to do inclusive growth. So India could grow at 8%, 10%, 12%. But if it's not inclusive growth, it's not going to solve all the basic problems as COVID has clearly pointed out. The ecosystem is critical because it allows access to marketplaces, capital and capacity that makes these industries more competitive. This is Prashant Mehra from the Platform Commons Foundation. The last 10 years, the world has seen the advent of platforms, which are not purely IT solutions, but they are also ecosystem builders. So any of the numerous platforms you see around are essentially multi-sided marketplaces which get very many ecosystem players together 
and enable them to work with each other. This kind of thinking turns a lot of the old ways of building solutions on its head, where typically you would build for where you would see the most return. Jim Fractiman is an engineer and a social entrepreneur and a longtime supporter of building for social good. Throughout his career, he's seen the impact of technology that was built to serve the interests of a few people, and he has consistently challenged this approach. One of his first endeavors was to make tech products accessible to the visually challenged. He is a champion of inclusion when designing for social good. So what I did is I thought that engineers like me were going to go out and train blind people on how to use our reading machine that we were going to build for them based on this technology. But I had never met an actual blind person as of that moment. <laughs> and so uh, and I, and now, in, in retrospect, it seems like the smart thing to do. But I went and I started talking to blind people. And they said, well, you know, um, you know, there's a lot of blind people who no one will employ. I'm like, what do you mean? He says, well, this other company that makes technology for blind people refuses to hire blind people as salespeople. They just did a merger and they fired most of the blind people who had worked for this other company that, you gotta be kidding. You're selling independence tools, but you don't believe in independence? Bah! As we think about the word inclusion and all of the ways it takes to make it happen, it requires a different way of thinking. We know there are multiple pathways, but it's the how that matters. We have to build off our networks, and we have to intentionally widen our existing networks to include those on the outside. We have to let go of the idea that the solution can be authored from above. It needs a type of leadership which is more like followership, where rather than telling people what to do, you basically enable people around you to be more effective so that they all work towards a common goal. And yet, we are living in a time where we are seeing great global solidarity and collaboration over systemic social problems, issues like climate change, anti-racism, and ending gender-based violence. And like Jim said, there are fewer excuses for not creating better systems for change. As hard as it is to shift habitual, deep-seated behaviors, we have to find ways to do so. And as much as it is about processes, it is also about understanding the philosophical principles so that they become a way of being. For people like Rickin, better systems begin with questions, not answers. But the way that that's going to happen is not by us telling them what to do, what not to do, but really to enable farmers to have the agency and choice to make their own better decisions. We've always maintained a healthy skepticism to our own work. And we continue to do so and therefore apply a lot of rigor in terms of evaluating what's really working, what's really not working. And for all of us who are in this space or interested in entering into this space, I would just say how important it is for us to spend time in the space of these communities themselves, whether we're engineers or whether we're development practitioners. The natural instinct at times of great uncertainty is to want a narrow perspective, is to want to think more linearly, to reduce risk and to control all the moving parts in the system. But we have to resist it and not try to only focus on predicting outcomes for the future. If we build systems that are nimble, adaptive 
and that can deal with the complexity of issues we face, we're more likely to build a system that reflects the world we see. And the way to do it is by collaborating, by working in ways that grow networks, because resilient, multifaceted systems are harder to disrupt. By building for agency, you instill a spirit of agency into an organization's culture. There's no other way to really begin but to really spend long periods of time just getting to know and spending time with these communities, building the empathy to be able to then think about what kind of ways, tools, or infrastructure can be developed to be able to enable these farmers to unleash their full potential in a way that will be resilient. In our next episode, we explore the question of design a little more deeply, the how. Is there a set of principles that can help any organization in any sector, in any part of the world, build an inclusive system? More in episode two of Sea Change. Thanks to Nanda Nilekani, Rikin Gandhi, Jim Fructiman, Archana Didi, Nagraju, Neelam Chibber, N. Raghunathan, and Prashant Mehra. Music, mixing, and mastering by Irvik D'Souza. Sea Change is a co-production of Societal Platform and Vaca Media. For more information, visit our website at societalplatform.org or vaca.in.